Welcome to the Cancer Care Connect workshop. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. Later, we will conduct a question and answer session, and instructions will follow at that time. If anyone should require assistance during the workshop, please press star then zero on your touchtone telephone. As a reminder, this workshop is being recorded. At this time, I would like to introduce your moderator for today's workshop, Dr. Carolyn Messner, Director of Education and Training at Cancer Care. Please go ahead. Well, thank you, Stephanie, and I too would like to welcome everyone to today's Cancer Care Connect workshop update on ductal carcinoma in situ, DCIS. And I have to say it's a very important program that we're doing today, and it's one that we don't do that often, and it's so important for all of you on the call. And um, it's one that we hope to do more often, actually, to bring you up-to-date information. Now, this is a collaborative effort between Cancer Care and many other cancer organizations. And it really is because of that collaboration and your interest that we have so many of you on the call today. So there are 673 of you on the call today. There's a lot of you on the call today. It's a very big call. And you come from all of the United States. And we also have international participants from Canada, China, Jordan, Sweden, Venezuela, and the United Kingdom. So you really come from all over the world. And really, it's a credit to you that you want to spend this next hour with us to learn more about DCIS. I'd like to turn your attention for a moment to all the materials that you received from Cancer Care. In those materials is information about the topics we're discussing today. Um, it's also information about our speakers and our collaborating organizations as resources for each of you. And there also is an evaluation form, and I would ask you to take a moment at the end of the program today and complete that evaluation form. Your feedback is really very important to us um, so that we plan programs that really meet your needs. Um, indeed, the program today was one that many of you had requested, and we were able to then provide it. So we take your recommendations very seriously and, and try to implement them. Um, now, today's program was supported by an educational grant from Genomic Health, Inc., and I really want to thank them for their support. Now, we have wonderful speakers on our program today, and I want to start by introducing our first speaker, Dr. Ruth Oretz. Dr. Oretz is a frequent presenter on our programs, and she's Clinical Associate Professor of Medicine, NYU School of Medicine. And uh, Dr. Oretz um, is actually going to address um, understanding ductal carcinoma in situ, diagnostic testing, determining type, grade, and hormone receptor status. It's my pleasure now to turn the program over to Dr. Oretz. Thank you, Carolyn, and it's always a great pleasure to be on a conference call for cancer care. This afternoon, we're focusing on a type of breast cancer that is called DCIS, or ductal carcinoma in situ. When we think about breast cancer, um, one of the ways to get a handle on what type of breast cancer we're talking about is where in the breast the malignancy arises. And in the breast, we have ducts and lobules. The lobules are the part of the breast where milk is produced. And the ducts are the channels or the tunnels that carry the, the milk that would ultimately come out through the nipple. So if cells within the duct, the cells that line the inside of that duct, begin to grow in a way that's disordered, and not well regulated, we can see that there's a process um, that develops. First, the cells can look a little bit abnormal or hyperplastic. They can begin to look atypical. These are the words that pathologists use when they look at breast tissue that's been biopsied and describe to us what the cells look like if they don't look perfectly normal inside the duct. And as this process that we think there's a, a spectrum and a process along which cells change from 
entirely normal benign cells and ultimately into invasive malignant cells. But along that process, cells can develop this malignant appearance and somewhat malignant behavior, but stay confined within the walls of the duct. They haven't broken through that wall into the surrounding breast tissue. And that's what we mean by carcinoma in situ. So ductal carcinoma in situ is when the cells that are the epithelial cells inside the ducts have changed enough so that they are behaving in a way that's disordered, in a way that looks malignant, but have not yet acquired the potential to break through that wall and metastasize. DCIS is very important because it is, comprises about 20% of the new breast cancer cases that are diagnose, diagnosed in the United States each year. In 2011, about 230,000 women were diagnosed with invasive breast cancer and about 58,000 cases of in situ breast cancer were seen. Most of these cases, the vast majority, will be seen in women over the age of 50. But we do sometimes see DCIS in younger women. In 2011, there were about 1,800 cases in very young women under the age of 40, and about 14,000 cases reported in women between the ages of 40 and 50. So really most of the cases we see are in women over the age of 50. DCIS is important for us to treat for many reasons, but one of which is that we feel that in many cases, perhaps not all, but in many cases, if we leave DCIS in the breast and we don't treat it, that it could develop into invasive breast cancer. With the use of screening mammography and other tools, for early diagnosis, the number of cases of DCIS is increasing because we're picking up findings and we're biopsying findings earlier than we used to over the past several decades. So I'm not sure that this is really that we're seeing more breast cancer. Maybe we're just seeing cases at an earlier stage or cases that otherwise would not have been diagnosed. Once a woman has developed DCIS, she's about four times more likely than someone in the average population of developing invasive breast cancer at some point in the future. The risk factors for developing DCIS are very similar to those for developing invasive breast cancer, and those are familiar to all of you, age, family history, exposure to estrogens, obesity, alcohol use, and so on. So we don't really distinguish different risk factors for DCIS. Most DCIS is detected on a screening mammogram. In fact, 60% of cases are found this way. And the appearance of DCIS on the mammogram largely is uh, microcalcifications. And many of you have heard that term used. Microcalcifications are little specks of calcium that are seen on the x-ray film of the mammogram. Not all calcifications or microcalcifications are cancerous, 
but there are patterns that can tip off the radiologist that a biopsy should be done or we should look a little bit more closely. In particular, if the microcalcifications cluster together in a small group, especially if this is new compared to prior mammogram, if the calcifications um, seem to be branching out in a linear pattern, almost as if they're following the lines of the ducts as they travel from the lobules to the nipple. So those might be some hints to the radiologist that these are calcifications that should be biopsied. Another presentation of DCIS is a lump in the breast. And when we see DCIS that forms a mass, it's usually a larger amount of DCIS. This should be removed surgically. And we have to be careful when we look at that DCIS that forms a mass that there aren't little areas of micro-invasion, that we don't see the beginnings of invasive breast cancer developing within that larger mass. And then thirdly, DCIS can sometimes present as a discharge from the nipple. Most discharges from the nipple are, in fact, related to benign conditions. But in some instances, this could be related to DCIS. And these, of course, should be investigated. So as I mentioned, about 60% of cases are found um, on the screening mammogram. And as we see increasing use of screening radiology tests for early detection, we may see a shift of cases to this earlier stage of breast cancer, stage zero, which is how we refer to DCIS, as opposed to the early invasive breast cancers. Now, once the diagnosis of DCIS is made and a biopsy is performed, the pathologist gives us a lot of information about the type of DCIS that is seen. And we know from our work in invasive breast cancer that there are many, many different types of breast cancer. And this is certainly true of in situ as well as invasive breast cancer. So first, the pathologist gives us a sense of how much disease is present. Is this just a small focus, one little area, or is it more extensive throughout the breast? If it seems to be localized in one area, pathologists can sometimes report this as an actual size, a number of millimeters or centimeters in the breast, but also sometimes because it's a three-dimensional um, evaluation in the tissue, they might tell us that when they're cutting the slides or blocks, they see DCIS on two out of 10 blocks or on four out of 12 slides. And that's terminology that you may see on the pathology report, again, giving us an indication of the amount of disease that's present. Another important aspect of uh, evaluating the type of DCIS is asking about grade. Grade, in general, gives us a handle as to how aggressive-looking these cells appear and perhaps behave. So that in DCIS, we categorize grade as low-grade, intermediate-grade, and high-grade, where the high-grade cells, we believe, have a more aggressive um, biological behavior. Pathologists use um, very carefully established criteria for painting a picture in words, if you will, of what they see through the microscope. 
And the factors that go into grading DCIS relate to the size of the cells, the way the nucleus and nucleoli in those cells appear, are there variations in the shape and the size and the pigment, and also um, whether or not the cells have clumped up, whether or not we see comedonecrosis or necrosis within the duct associated with those cells, and also um, the pattern of growth of the cells. They can form into um, a leaf-like, frond-like pattern that we call papillary-type DCIS or a more solid block or cribriform block. So all of this language is helpful to the oncologist in getting an idea about uh, the type of DCIS that we're dealing with. And then, of course, we turn to a little bit more uh, sophisticated evaluation of the cells using stains that help us to understand if the DCIS has receptors for the hormone estrogen. And as we know from our work in invasive breast cancer, cells that still have a lot of estrogen receptors on them are sensitive to therapeutic interventions that target that estrogen receptor. So in some cases of DCIS, which are estrogen receptor positive, there may be an indication for using anti-estrogen therapy. If the DCIS is ER negative, then we wouldn't consider those kinds of treatments. We do um, have some information about another biomarker in DCIS, the HER2 new receptor, which we know is very important in helping us understand prognosis and determine treatment for invasive breast cancer. And we know that in some cases of DCIS, the HER2 new protein can be overexpressed. We're not really sure if this has an important implication for treatment or not. It may have some implications for prognosis, but the expression of HER2 new in DCIS does not always correlate with what the HER2 new means in invasive breast cancer. So as part of our standard of practice right now, we do not recommend measuring HER2 new expression in DCIS, although there certainly is um, some interesting research that's being done uh, related to that. Once we find an abnormality on a mammogram or a woman comes in with either a mass or a discharge that leads to the diagnosis of DCIS, we do then proceed to treatment. And Dr. Burstein is going to go through some of the details um, about the different modalities that are used for treating DCIS. Again, our rationale right now is that we feel DCIS should be treated in order to hopefully avoid the development of invasive breast cancer. So I'll stop here and let um, my colleagues continue. Well, I want to thank you very much, Dr. Orat, for a wonderful presentation, very informative and really setting the, the, the real whole context for today's um, program. So thank you so much. Um, our next speaker is Dr. Burstein. Uh, Dr. Burstein is um, uh, he's with the Breast Oncology Center, Veins Barber Cancer Institute, Associate Professor of Medicine, Harvard Medical School, and he's going to address the standard of care and the role of surgery, radiation, and adjuvant therapy. Dr. Burstein? 
Thank you, Carolyn, and, and thanks uh, for allowing me to join you and Ruth and Julie and so many others on this call. So uh, uh, the way I explain DCIS to patients is to describe it as essentially the colon polyp of breast cancer. Uh, I think most patients understand readily what a colon polyp is. It's a growth. It's an abnormal growth. One removes it, and um, you remove it because otherwise, if you don't, it has a propensity to develop into a colon cancer. And the same is really true of DCIS. And um, the treatment for DCIS is built on the same rationale, which is to remove the areas of DCIS so that they don't become an invasive breast cancer. Traditionally, going back uh, uh, several decades, uh, mastectomy was offered to women with DCIS. Mastectomy is tremendously effective treatment for DCIS. Essentially, prevents any future problems uh, almost all the time, essentially. And um, for some women still, uh, mastectomy is necessary because of the extent of DCIS within the breast or because of the size of the uh, area of DCIS relative to the size of the breast or because the patient may not be a candidate for radiation therapy, which we often give after breast-conserving surgery for DCIS. So for any woman who's been diagnosed with DCIS mastectomy, uh, a simple mastectomy with or without a reconstruction is a treatment option, though obviously uh, it carries a lot of cosmetic implications. For the vast majority of women diagnosed nowadays who have DCIS, which is found on a mammogram and is usually a relatively small area of the breast, um, lumpectomy or really breast-conserving surgery is an appropriate surgical option. And in that kind of procedure, as you know, the surgeon goes in and removes the area of the affected tissue, and the rest of the breast is left intact. For most women, this provides a very satisfactory cosmetic result, though obviously there are changes to the breast as a consequence of the surgery. So almost everyone with DCIS uh, is given surgery these days. Um, and then the question becomes, uh, what do you need to do next to further help make sure that there's no recurrence of the DCIS? For a woman who has had a mastectomy for DCIS, there is no need for any further treatment. Uh, mastectomy essentially is curative, and the chance of developing any further problems is less than 1%. So uh, a mastectomy-treated patient would simply be followed thereafter for uh, regular imaging of the opposite breast. For women who have had breast-conserving surgery for DCIS, who've had a lumpectomy where the breast is still intact, we frequently recommend radiation therapy to lower the risk of there being any further recurrence uh, of DCIS or development of a breast cancer within the treated breast itself. This is the same kind of radiation therapy that is given to women who have been diagnosed with invasive breast cancer. And just as with invasive breast cancer, we know from very high-quality studies that offering radiation therapy to patients who have a history of DCIS lowers the risk of there being a recurrent problem for decades moving forward. The radiation treatment for DCIS causes a lot of skin damage. It's like having a terrible sunburn on the affected portions of the breast, but that usually heals up. And again, most women say they have a very satisfactory cosmetic result. Now, one of the big challenges in the literature has been to figure out if there are some women who do not need radiation therapy, if their prognosis is so good that the chance of a problem is so low that radiation therapy really won't help. Historically, it has been very difficult to figure out who such patients are. And it makes sense to say that women who have very small areas of DCIS that have favorable features under the microscope and don't affect much tissue those are all women where it seems likely that there would be less of a need for radiation, but it's actually been really hard to pinpoint exactly who those women are. 
the, um, um, there has been a recent molecular diagnostic test um, developed by the same people who developed the Oncotype DX test for invasive breast cancer. They have developed a similar assay for trying to figure out which women might not need radiation therapy uh, following a diagnosis of DCIS. We saw the first reports of this uh, within the past year. Many of us are still figuring out what to do with that information, and I got to say that it has not entered widespread practice uh, to date because it isn't clear that it really defines a group with such a low prognosis that radiation therapy wouldn't help. It clearly does identify a group which does better um, than women who um, uh, identifies on a spectrum who does better and who does less well in the absence of radiation. But many people still think that if you uh, topped off uh, uh, the patient with radiotherapy, they might still do better yet. Now, the dilemma here, as many of you may have gone through this experience personally, the dilemma is that the marginal benefits of radiation are pretty small. We're talking about a good prognosis overall, helping that prognosis a lot by giving radiation therapy, but because most women do so well, the absolute gains are, are still relatively modest. So that's a very detailed conversation that a patient would want to have with the radiation oncology team in concert with the surgeon to really see if uh, radiotherapy makes sense. Having said that, our current practice is that we do offer radiation therapy to the vast majority of women who've been diagnosed with DCIS and who have undergone breast-conserving surgery. The final piece of the puzzle is uh, anti-estrogen treatment. So again, in parallel to invasive breast cancer where we offer surgery and radiation and drugs like tamoxifen to help prevent the cancer from coming back, there are studies that suggest that the same tamoxifen drug is also helpful for lowering the risk of recurrence of DCIS. Again, the trade-offs here are that tamoxifen can have side effects such as hot flashes and night sweats and other menopausal symptoms, and that the benefits of tamoxifen in terms of absolute risk of tumor reduction are relatively, are relatively small because, again, most people do really well. But um, that is an option, and uh, as part of our multidisciplinary uh, team approach to a patient with DCIS, we usually have the patient meet a medical oncologist to discuss whether or not tamoxifen makes sense for them. And as Ruth already introduced you to, we do test DCIS for estrogen receptor, and it's clear that tamoxifen is only valuable in women whose DCIS is so-called estrogen receptor positive. So um, the only other point I would make about tamoxifen is that um, I often recommend tamoxifen with the understanding that if the woman has substantial side effects, I have a pretty low threshold to stop the tamoxifen treatment because, again, the benefits are, are relatively modest. So to recap my set of remarks, DCIS is the colon polyp of breast cancer. Um, we treat it to make sure it doesn't develop into a more aggressive cancer. Most women do very well. The standard approaches would be a mastectomy or breast-conserving surgery with radiation treatment. And then on a case-by-case -case basis, we additionally offer tamoxifen to women uh, in, if the DCIS is ER positive to further lower their chance of recurrence. As yet, there are no data for the use of aromatase inhibitors in management of DCIS. We're waiting for studies that are ongoing to look at that question. And uh, also, we don't know if Herceptin might be helpful for DCIS. There is a study from the NSAVP going on that is going to look at use of Herceptin in women who have HER2-positive DCIS. And um, that is an option if you wanted to participate in a study, but we don't know the answer as yet uh, for that uh, drug experience. So that's our multidisciplinary approach to management of uh, DCIS. Again, most women do really well. And um, uh, that's, uh, I think, the conclusion of my remarks, Carolyn. So I'll hand the microphone.
microphone back to you. Well, thank you very much, Dr. Burstein. Very informative presentation, and thank you so much. Really excellent. Um, and um, our next speaker is Dr. Julie Graylow. And Dr. Graylow is a professor in medical oncology, director of breast medical oncology, University of Washington School of Medicine, Seattle Cancer Care Alliance. She's member clinical research division, Fred Hutchinson Cancer Research Center. Dr. Graylow is going to address how clinical trials contribute to your treatment options, follow-up care plan, quality of life concerns, and communicating with your healthcare team. It's my pleasure to turn the program over to Dr. Grello. Great. Thanks. And uh, welcome everybody around the world, whatever time zone it's in. It's still morning here in Seattle. Um, we've had two excellent presentations um, on DCIS so far, and I'll just add a little bit more before we open this up to questions. Um, Dr. Burstein's already alluded to some clinical trials that are ongoing in ductal carcinoma in situ, and the focus of a lot of those trials in many ways is um, trying to figure out how to give less treatment, for example, radiation therapy, since a lot of patients with ductal carcinoma in situ do very well um, with just local treatment, meaning surgery and then radiation if you have a lumpectomy, um, we're looking to see if we can do less. Um, also, we're looking at um, the, the B43 trial, NSABP B43 is the trial that Dr. Burstein um, alluded to that's looking at in patients who have a, a HER2-positive DCIS that's undergone a lumpectomy, um, whether a couple of doses of trastuzumab or Herceptin added to radiation could further reduce the risk of local recurrence. Um, a lot of uh, clinical trials for patients with DCIS, the kinds of trials that you might be eligible for when you're done with your treatment, are really looking at preventing a next cancer. So um, Dr. Orat started by telling you that um, women who have had a diagnosis of DCIS are four times more likely in the future to develop an invasive breast cancer. So good local treatment usually takes care of the DCIS in the area that it occurred, but whatever it was that led to the occurrence of this DCIS, whether it was genetics or lifestyle or environment or a combination of all of those, that exposed all the tissue in both breasts, and that leads the woman to a higher likelihood of another breast cancer anywhere in either breast. So a lot of the clinical trials going on right now in DCIS patients are really prevention trials preventing the next cancer. You can always find clinical trials on the um, National Cancer Institute's website, which is uh, clinicaltrials.gov. So um, participation in a clinical trial is always um, an option, and we're all, that's how we advance our treatments in, in cancer in general. So we'd uh, suggest you might want to look if there are trials that you're available for. Now, what about follow-up for a DCIS patient? After you're done with um, the local treatment, which would be surgery or radiation, after you've made a decision about whether you might go on some systemic or total body treatment, such as tamoxifen that Dr. Burstein reviewed, um, what about follow-up? What happens then? Well, the good news is that um, the majority of women who have been diagnosed and treated for DCIS won't recur. 
And the risk of a, a distant recurrence in the bone, the liver, the lungs is almost zero. This is a cancer that should not travel. Um, by definition, it's, it's stuck in the, the ducts within the breast and can't get out to the bloodstream or the lymph nodes. So the follow-up is generally um, a good breast imaging, meaning get your mammograms regularly, uh, get clinical breast exams. Um, if you've had a cancer, it's always a good idea to learn how to do a breast self-exam or at least be what we call breast self-aware. So if there are changes going on, even if you don't do regular exams, which I would encourage, but some women aren't comfortable with that, just if you see changes in the breast, report it. Um, if you underwent mastectomy for your treatment and you didn't talk about the possibility of reconstruction at the time of your original surgery, the follow-up setting is a setting where you might consider whether or not you might want to uh, proceed with some form of breast reconstruction or not. Some women are just perfectly comfortable um, post-mastectomy without pursuing a reconstruction options. Additionally, a lot of what we're focusing on in follow-up care is reducing the risk of developing, you know, an invasive breast cancer at some point in the future. So lifestyle factors are really what we can mostly control that have an impact on future breast cancer risk. So getting physical activity, man maintaining body weight, eating healthy, and minimizing alcohol intake are all things that you can do that are healthy lifestyle, you can control them. They will reduce your risk of, of developing a next breast cancer and help your overall health as well. Um, uh, it's always important to have good communication with your healthcare team, to have a, a follow-up plan outlined, and to understand what your options are. So make sure uh, in your follow-up visits that you know how to um, relay uh, any concerns you might have, any new symptoms, and how to get information, for example, about is there a clinical trial going on. I'll just conclude by saying that in, two, excuse me, in 2009, the National Cancer Institute held a conference focused entirely on ductal carcinoma in situ. It was called a State of the Science Conference on the Diagnosis and Management of DCIS. You can find a report about this conference if you just uh, Google NIH and DCIS conference. Um, that's probably the easiest way to find it because it's kind of got a complicated web link. But the conclusions out of that conference were um, that the diagnosis and management of DCIS is somewhat complex, and we do have some unanswered questions, including what would happen to the low-grade DCIS if we didn't treat it at all? Are there some cancers that we can just excise and not radiate? And who needs more treatment? Um, they also made a conclusion out of this conference that there's probably um, some move to reduce, to remove that term carcinoma out of ductal carcinoma in situ. Carcinoma means cancer. And uh, there was a lot of discussion about how anxiety-provoking this was for a disease that's really more like in colon cancer, as Dr. Burstein said, is a polyp. Um, so it's a, in some ways, it's really a precancer. I mean, it meets criteria for being a cancer by a technical definition, but it can't go and spread. It can't lead to death if it's effectively taken care of at the point at which it's still DCIS. So there was a lot of discussion about whether we should take the, the C word out of DCIS 
and um, and try to portray it more as a polyp that you remove in a colon cancer, um, you know, screening, and you're trying to prevent the development of the actual colon cancer. And then the conclusion of the conference was that there's room for further research, that we need to accurately identify subsets of DCIS that could be managed with less therapeutic intervention without sacrificing the very excellent outcomes that are usually the result of a diagnosis of DCIS. So I'll conclude with that so we can move on to our questions. So my mom, thank you very much, Dr. Grello, again, for a very informative presentation, lots of information. And we now do have time for questions, and we have lots of time for questions. We're going to bring all of our speakers on board, and we're going to um, take your questions, um, as many as, as we can. And if we don't get to your question, um, please, you can call Cancer Care at 1-800-813-HOPE, and our staff will be happy to help you with your questions. However, um, Stephanie, would you explain to everybody how to queue up for questions, and we'll let's, let's the questions begin, see if we can take as many as possible. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. If you would like to ask a question, please press star then 1 on your touchtone telephone. If your question has been answered and you wish to remove yourself from the queue, you may press the pound key. Those of you on the web may submit questions by clicking Ask a Question. Our first question comes from Jacqueline W. Your line is open. Um, thank you very much for this wonderful conference. I was wondering if there's any role for metformin in the prevention uh, post-DCIS um, surgical treatment. Thank you. Thank you for the question. Dr. Orat or Dr. Grelo, did you want to address that? Um, so metformin is a medicine that was developed initially for the treatment of diabetes. And we know that there's a link between obesity and the risk of developing breast cancer and also increased risk of recurrence of invasive breast cancer. And we think also that this linkage to obesity is related to the occurrence of diabetes in older women, type 2 diabetes, which is not insulin dependent, where certain pathways get um, turned on and turned off in terms of the way that insulin is regulated in the body and, and deals with sugar in the body. And there's some interesting data now that suggests that using metformin, which is a medicine that changes around that glucose pathway in the body, may help to uh, reduce recurrences in invasive breast cancer. Right now, there's a large clinical trial that's going on in which women who have been diagnosed with invasive breast cancer within the past year and who have completed their treatment with chemotherapy if they were receiving chemo or radiation, they could be on hormonal therapy, um, are being randomized to receive metformin or not. And then uh, we'll follow the re <clears throat> recurrence rate in those two groups and see if the metformin has made a difference. So as of right now, there's no firm data that tells us that there is a role for metformin in the standard of care. And certainly, um, as far as I know, no information about using metformin to prevent invasive breast cancer after a diagnosis of ductal carcinoma in situ. Thank you. Our next question. Our next question comes from Allison S. Your line is open. Well, thank you, and thank you for this excellent presentation. Um, I wanted to get clear on a statement made uh, for the role of aromatase inhibitors in uh, DCIS. 
Dr. So, Grelo, uh, address that? Yeah, I can, I can take that. This is Julie Grelo. Um, so right now, the drug that we have clear data from clinical trials can have an impact on reducing a, a breast cancer occurrence uh, in DCIS is tamoxifen. Uh, there is a trial um, that has been enrolled in and closed. We've, we've got enough patients on trial, and we are waiting for kind of the long-term follow-up, so it hasn't been presented, of tamoxifen versus one of the aromatase inhibitors, anastrozole. That's the NSABP B35 trial. It was for patients who had a lumpectomy and radiation for estrogen receptor positive DCIS, and it randomized to anastrozole, which is arimidex, versus tamoxifen. So it's not yet reported. We don't have data there. And, um, and we're waiting for that before kind of getting approval for an aromatase inhibitor in DCIS. I will tell you that there was um, the prevention studies that have looked at um, aromatase inhibitors. For example, there was a recent reporting of a trial called the XL trial uh, led by the National Cancer Institute of Canada. That was a, a prevention trial for women at high risk of developing invasive breast cancer, and they allowed patients who had had DCIS because you're at higher risk for developing invasive breast cancer to enroll. About 11% of the patients in the XL trial had um, either DCIS or atypia or lobular carcinoma in situ. And so it was about 11% out of 4,500 patients. And that trial, which was exemestane, also called aromasin, one of the aromatase inhibitors versus placebo, did show a statistically significant reduction in future development of invasive breast cancer or a DCIS, which would be a second DCIS if you had a prior DCIS, for using the aromatase inhibitor. So I'm using that data uh, to say that um, it's not unreasonable to consider using an aromatase inhibitor. We do have at least one study that's looked at it where some of the patients in the study were at least were DCIS patients, and there was a reduction in future invasive and DCIS. But the trial comparing is tamoxifen better or are aromatase inhibitors better in patients who have had DCIS, the NSABPB35 trial still has not reported. Thank you. Our next question, please. Our next question comes from Don C. Your line is open. Yeah, I was uh, diagnosed with uh, DCIS uh, in 1999, and I was on tamoxifen and aromatase inhibitor. Now, my question is this. <clears throat> um, at what it has uh, statistics on when people tend to develop breast cancer change is it, it used to be the upper ages, but you hear more about the younger women. And the second question is uh, uh, when you do get reoccurrence with DCIS, is it uh, soon or later? I mean, you know, so many women will get reoccurrence 10 or 20 years later. What are the figures mm -hmm. now? Thank you for those excellent questions. Um, I'm going to ask our speakers to address them in a general way. Uh, Dr. Oris, would you like to just begin? And address? Yes. Um, so 
As I mentioned at the beginning of my talk, there are probably uh, between 50 and 60,000 cases of DCIS that will be diagnosed this year in women in the United States. The vast majority of those, um, two-thirds of them, will be in women above the age of 50. So although we do sometimes see DCIS in younger women, it's, um, it's much less common. And in very young women under the age of 40, in the last year there were 1,800 cases in the whole country. So it's not unheard of for young women to be diagnosed with DCAS, but you're absolutely correct. In general, this is something that we see later on in age. Um, with respect to recurrences after treatment, um, if DCAS has been treated, let's say, with surgery and radiation therapy, maybe tamoxifen if the DCIS was estrogen receptor positive, the risk of recurrence in the breast is really quite low, probably less than 5%. Um, but if there's a recurrence, there it, it could be either a recurrence of in situ carcinoma or invasive breast cancer. About half of the time these recurrences can be invasive. And um, they're not always identical to the um, original cell type of the DCIS. So depending on whether it was um, estrogen receptor positive or negative, uh, we may or may not see that conserved um, if there's a recurrence and if the tumor becomes invasive. So there can be further mutations or changes in the cells. Um, sometimes a new tumor develops in the breast Women who've had DCIS have a four times higher risk of developing breast cancer once they've had DCIS. And it may not in any way be related to the original DCIS lesion, but could be an entirely new malignancy that arose in that breast. We think that the risk over time, um, and Julie, you can comment on this, but we usually say to patients it's something like 1% per year. So if you are 60 years old and your DCIS has been diagnosed, the risk of developing a cancer over the next 10 or 20 years is probably about 10 to 15%. And I would uh, agree that I usually say that the risk is about half a percent to 1% per year. It's yeah, I think, I think half a percent is probably... Half a percent yeah. might be closer. But it's, yeah. it's reduced by about half of that if you take five years of... Uh, tamoxifen, at least in the prevention studies, it looks like that. Okay. And, um, so it can be reduced. It, uh, and, and the time frame is, because it's usually a, a, next, a different cancer, it's not usually a recurrence of this DCIS. What we're really mm -hmm. looking for is, is, is the occurrence of an invasive cancer. Um, it can occur anywhere in either breast, and it can occur any time. It's usually, you know, occasionally, if you don't, get it all with local treatment, it would occur at the spot of the original DCIS, and that's more short time frame. You know, if you left cells behind and they come back, that's usually in the first few years. But um, the main thing we're watching for is kind of a next cancer, and that can occur at any time uh, across your life. Thank you. 
And um, we have a question about um, actually some treatment side effects from Patricia, from one of our online participants. What are the side effects of radiation treatments um, besides the sunburn effect? Does fatigue normally occur? Uh, Dr. Oris, could you address that? Um, yes, when we give radiation therapy to the breast, whether it's for DCIS or invasive breast cancer, we see very much the same uh, pattern of side effects. There can be some fatigue during the course of treatment, and that generally resolves very quickly once the treatment is completed. There are the skin changes. Um, initially, there's the redness like a sunburn. Again, that resolves within a couple of weeks after finishing treatment, but can sometimes leave the skin with a change in pigmentation so that it can look a little bit darker. That often fades over time, but not always. Um, sometimes if the breast tissue has been radiated, there can be thickening of the skin and the breast itself can feel a little bit heavier and a little bit thicker. There's a condition that's like lymphedema, not of the arm, but in the breast if there's been radiation therapy. A, a small percentage of women could develop that. And sometimes we see um, some thinning of the skin and what look like little broken capillaries or blood vessels on the skin. Um, we often see that if the dose of radiation was a little bit higher in an area of a boost or using certain radiation protocols where the dose in each fraction is a little bit higher. Those are called telangiectasias on the skin, and um, it's a cosmetic finding. They're not of any real medical consequence. Depending on um, how the radiation therapy is done and which side of the body is being radiated, the right breast or the left breast, there is the potential that um, a little bit of the lung or a little sliver of the heart could be exposed to radiation. We have been using radiation therapy for decades in treating both in situ and invasive breast cancer, and we really have not seen a significantly increased risk of long-term problems in women who've received this treatment. It's really quite safe and very well tolerated. But, um, you know, as with any intervention, there are the potential for uh, side effects. Our next question, um, uh, Stephanie? Our next question comes from Angela M. Your line is open. Yes, thank you. Um, what is the difference, um, or what is the current thinking regarding treatment of DCIS that's found in more than one quadrant? And does this differ from cases when the DCIS is found in one quadrant, and why? Question. Dr. Grayla, would you want to address that? So if DCIS is found in multiple places in the breast that are kind of distinct from each other, which would be multiple quadrants of the breast, then the chance that you'll be able to capture it all with a lumpectomy, just one excision, um, and remove all of the DCIS is less. So much more commonly, if DCIS is proven to be in multiple separate spots scattered throughout the breast or multiple quadrants, usually um, mastectomy would be recommended, uh, partly because you also don't know if 
there are spots in between that you just can't see uh, on imaging that might also have cancer in them. If you've already identified a couple of spots, is there more quiet disease behind? So the major treatment difference if you have kind of multi-quadrant versus just a small uh, confined area of DCIS would be your surgical options. And we would generally recommend mastectomy if we see multiple different spots scattered throughout the breast. Thank you. Um, our next question, Stephanie? Our next question comes from Lynn W. Your line is open. Yes, I'd like to thank uh, Dr. Grelo for touching on some of the controversy surrounding DCIS. Do we call it cancer? Is it precancerous? And it seems to me that it touches on the larger controversy, which has to do with are we questions related to are we overtreating women who have DCIS? Do they really need all that radiation, et cetera? And yet there's this sense that, um, not a sense, but there's uh, fairly good documentation that um, most uh, invasive ductal cancers, of course, well, all of them start in the in the duct. So I'm wondering if Your any questions? speakers can I'm wondering if any of the speakers can touch on any current efforts to that, that help us better assess who really needs who would really benefit from uh, more treatment. How do we differentiate between the more and less aggressive uh, forms of DCIS? Thank you. Excellent question. I'm going to ask both of our speakers to address that. It's an interesting question. Thank you. Um, Dr. Orr, so, you, um, you know, one of the, and that's a very important question and one that we're really struggling with um, in our clinical practice as well as a fair amount of research effort uh, that is now being put towards answering that question. Right now, when we have a pathology report, um, that says the patient has DCIS, we really look to clues that give us some hint about how aggressive is this DCIS, how likely do we think it is to cause trouble if we leave it untreated. And this is where um, we look at the amount of disease that's present, is it extensive throughout the breast or is it localized, but I think more importantly at the grade is this high-grade DCIS where the cells look very disorderly and uh, like they really look they're, like they're on their way to a, a more aggressive, more um, malignant behavior than low-grade DCIS, which has a much more um, indolent course and perhaps less aggressive biology. Um, there's the work that Dr. Grelo was alluding to earlier about the role of overexpression of HER2 nu. Does this confer a more ominous prognosis in DCIS, and does it require therapy with trastuzumab or other HER2-targeted agents? Um, so I think we're looking at the classic pathologic uh, factors that we get on our reports, like grade and size and the presence of necrosis, as well as some of the molecular profiling relating to estrogen receptor HER2 nu. We have some information, early information from the recent work done on the new oncotype DCIS assay um, that is making an effort to determine who are the individuals who may not need radiation therapy. And if we do molecular profiling of those cells, can we identify the more low-grade types of DCIS that are less likely to recur or to go on to invasive breast cancer 
and perhaps those women can be treated with surgery alone and they won't need to have radiation or to take um, anti-estrogen therapy. So we do have a lot of energy now focused on trying to identify who doesn't need all of that treatment. But until we have that data, I think um, we have to use our best clinical judgment in conversations with each individual woman about what's right for her. You know, the treatment of a 38-year-old with a high-grade aggressive DCIS might be very, we may look at that patient and her risk of cancer very differently than a 75-year-old woman with a microscopic focus of low-grade DCIS. So it's not only what the pathology report shows us, but as in any treatment decision, we have to have a dialogue with our patient, understand who she is, where she is in her life, what her other medical issues are, and what this diagnosis means, you know, what it implies in terms of her individual situation with respect to the risk of developing a more serious form of breast cancer. Yep. So, so as our listeners undoubtedly know, through genomic profiling, a better understanding of the different genes that are turned on and off in the development of an invasive breast cancer, we now believe invasive breast cancer is at least five subtypes with most recent studies even suggesting 10 different subtypes. Well, that same kind of work is going on in DCIS as well. The oncotype um, DX, the DCIS score that we've been talking about, is kind of the first step to do some genomic profiling to try to subset out the, the different types of DCIS, the lower risk, intermediate risk, higher risk. And although right now it's mainly being used to look at who might be able to get away without radiation therapy after a lumpectomy, I could envision some version of a score like this where you look at the, the genomic um, expression of a bunch of different genes that might tell you who does need tamoxifen or an aromatase inhibitor or who might benefit from adding some trastuzumab herceptin to the radiation. So I, I think, you know, we've entered the genomic era. We're doing this with invasive breast cancer. We still have a long way to go. And we're starting to do it with DCIS as well. And I think that's where the real research is going to try to subset out DCIS. Well, this is excellent. And I, I really want to thank um, our speakers. Um, You've been wonderful, and this is a wonderful, uh, really, uh, no tip to conclude the call because you're really giving such wonderful information to our participants here. So I want to thank you for just being wonderful speakers. I want to thank all of you who've asked questions, both actually who've asked your questions both on the telephone or online, and all of you who've been listening as well. Now, I do want to remind all of you this is a one-hour education program, and that in planning a program like this, we recognize that you all have many needs that go far beyond the scope of one hour. And so I do want to remind all of you that you can access so many services from Cancer Care. And I would not want to conclude the call today without reminding you of those services. Now, we have a staff of 45 master's level trained oncology social workers. And they are here to provide a host of services, from practical and financial assistance to counseling services, both a chance to talk with someone about your concerns and questions. We also offer support groups on the telephone and online. And we have lots of workshops like this, and materials, booklets, and fact sheets as well. So that as we conclude the program today, I would not want any one of you to feel that you're alone in coping 
with DCIS or cancer or any of your concerns, I want you to now know that you're part of the community support. You can simply call us at 1-800-813-HOPE or visit our website at www.cancercare.org. Um, please do take advantage of these free services. They're there to help you. Again, I want to thank you all for your participation. I want to wish you all a very fine day. Thank you all. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for your participation. This concludes the workshop. You may now disconnect and have a wonderful day.